Well, hey, friends, it is great to be with you. Happy Easter again. If you were a guest with us last week for Easter and you're back this week for the second time, we're glad you're here. If you're joining us online, you're in the right place. We're going to have a good day today as we get things back to life. Uh, you know, uh, last week we had such a great time. If you were worshiping with us up here, you know how amazing the service was. Uh, but we had a great time everywhere in the building. Our preschoolers were learning the story of Jesus. And if you want to know how just how much they learned, check out this little gem from social media right here. Last Supper, this is friends. He told his friends that he had to go. And he would come back. Where did he go? He went to a place to pray. And one soldier, two soldiers, three soldiers. What did the soldiers do? They took him away. They put his body in a cave. They put a cross on him. And they put a tomb in front of him. And the tomb was a stone? rolled away. The stone rolled away? And, and then what? And one day, two days, three days, four days. Three days. On the third day, what did they on say? On the third day, his, his wings came out with a gore, and they showed that the tumors were away. And what did they say? And, they, and Jesus came back. Yep. Did they say Jesus is alive? Yeah. They, people... He was on a donkey, and he said, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. <laughs> All right, she keeps telling the story, but you get the point. They did great work down in our preschool down there, and she did great work remembering. And that's kind of where we are. Jesus is alive, and we get to say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the question we're asking and we're kicking off this week is to ask, what would it look like for us to, to go back to life with Jesus? For us to kind of recognize that God has for us a life for us and we could go for it. We're sort of as a culture emerging from a season of great disruption and chaos. I know we're not fully out of the woods. I read the paper this weekend. I know there's been a bump in cases, but we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Vaccines are getting out there. People are getting the, getting the shot. We're, 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 we're nearing the end of this. And kind of as we get to the end of this disruption, it's, it's kind of a moment. I know a lot of people, just in my conversations that I'm having, where we're kind of looking back, aren't we? And kind of recognizing how much has been lost, uh, how much has been taken by this disease and the kind of the ripples of chaos that has led to. Because uh, this disruption has been hard. It has wounded families, it has wounded institutions, it's wounded careers, it's wounded relationships. And this disruption has been lonely almost cripplingly lonely for so many of us. Uh, mental health issues are on the rise. It's been a strain and a stress on almost everybody I know. But here's the other thing I know, that this disruption represents a spiritual opportunity for God to do good things in your life. I, I just know that. Uh, in part, I know it because... 
everything represents a spiritual opportunity for God to good, good, good things in your life. That's just who God is, right? Like God, use, God will use anything and everything. Here's the way that Paul puts it. He doesn't mince words. We know that in all things, and in fact, chapter 8 there, that's actually the end of a chapter where Paul's been talking about persecution and suffering and hard situations. And even at the end of that, Paul just says, oh yeah, God uses everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So God is going to use this. God would use this. In this series, we're going to be talking about some of the hard stuff, some of the stuff that's been stolen from us by this circumstance or stolen from us by other people or stolen from us by our culture. We're going to talk about relationships and marriage that have been wounded so badly by COVID, you're not sure they're going to survive. We're going to talk about mental health. A lot of people are struggling with mental health for the first time in their life and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go or how to get started. God's Word's got some hope for you on that. We're going to talk about the unity of God's people, the church, and just the unity of all people in general, which again, it's not that we were doing great in 2019, but we're doing worse now. And COVID's had a, been a wedge issue in that way. We're going to talk about faith and trust and security and hope. And in every one of these areas, there is good news what the disruption of COVID has damaged, God wants to not only heal, but make better than it ever was. We're going to talk about how to get your life back better than ever. Not just back to normal, but back to life. Now, be super clear. It's obviously totally fine uh, if some things get back to normal. Sports can get back to normal, and restaurants can get back to normal, and wedding receptions can get back to normal, and fireworks can get back to normal, just not you. You can't get back to normal. Because for you to get back to normal would be to miss the spiritual opportunity that God has in your disrupted life right now. The chaos you're in is God's chance to say, hey, instead of going back to that old pattern, why don't we build a new pattern? Instead of going back to that old relationship, why don't we find a healthier relationship? Instead of having your marriage just go back to what it was, what if it could be stronger and deeper and richer and fuller and more alive? Like, wouldn't that be better? God has more for you than normal. Normal wasn't working that well for most of us anyway. Uh, today, to get this started... I want to invite you uh, to an experience of spiritual discernment. You're going to have some homework at the end of this message, okay? Some spiritual homework. It's not going to be too hard. It's just going to be you setting aside like a half hour. Maybe if you're, you know, real long-winded in your prayers, you might want to set aside an hour. You'll probably need a pencil and a piece of paper. And I'm going to challenge you to spend some time with God. Well, I'll explain what to do with the time in the sermon, but you're going to have homework, okay? At the end of this, my challenge is for you to set aside some time and do some prayer work so that you don't miss the good that God wants to do in your life out of this disrupted season. Before we get to the homework, though, you've got to know a couple things. You've got to know some stuff about Jesus, and you've got to know some stuff about you, Okay? Let's start with the stuff about Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 10. Jesus tells us a few things about himself. Here's what he says. He says, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. They'll find what they were looking for if they look through me. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. He goes on. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And that makes sense. He's not even, you know, he's not trying to, you know, harass the hired hand. The hired hand's working for a paycheck, right? If the wolf comes, he's getting out of there. The wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares about the paycheck, not the sheep. But Jesus says, I'm different. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. So just a couple things before I give you your homework that you got to know about Jesus. First, you've got to know that Jesus died so that you could live. And this is sort of one of the most basic truths of Christianity. But because it's basic, like if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you sort of might have forgotten what a big deal it is. Jesus died so that you might live. Which means two things to me. One, it means that only Jesus has earned the right to be my shepherd. Like anybody else who would want to come in and kind of direct me and say, no, go this way to find life or go this way to find life, they didn't die so that I could live. But Jesus did. The other thing it means to me is if Jesus died so that I could live and instead I just go back to normal, I'm wasting that for which Jesus died. Jesus died so that you would live and you know there are lots of places in your life that are not fully alive. Where you're just going through the motions. Where you are not pursuing the fullness of life that would have been worth dying for. And that leads me to the second thing we learn about Jesus. It's not just that Jesus died so that you could live. It's that Jesus says that the good shepherd has come so that you might have life and have it to the full. This is why we can't settle for just going back to normal because that was, that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus wants more for you. We use this phrase, uh, Christians use this phrase, we say that Jesus died so that we might have eternal life. And I like that phrase, it's a good phrase, but we gotta remember all of what it means. It doesn't just mean how long life lasts, like eternal in duration or eternal in quantity, it also means the kind of life Jesus wants to give you. Eternal in quality, eternal in significance. Jesus wants to make you live forever and to help you live in such a way that it would be worth living forever, right? Because if this is as good as my life gets, like, I don't know if I want this to last forever, you know? And I know, you know, my wife doesn't want me living like this to last forever. She doesn't even want to like last this like to last through the weekend. You know what I'm saying? Right? And, but Jesus doesn't either. He wants your life to be eternal in duration, but also eternal in quality. And so if this is the, the, kind of the first thing before we get our homework, we got to know this is what Jesus wants. And this is what Jesus has died to make possible. And, but it doesn't always happen. Okay? 
A lot of us get stuck living lives that are not full lives. We get stuck living lives that are not of the abundant life Christ died for, not what Jesus died to secure. We just live normal lives, you know, that are filled with, you know, petty bickering and bigotry and fear and violence and insecurity. That sounds more like my life. So the other thing you got to know before we do this exercise is you got to know about you. And you got to know that we are wired up to become obstacles to what Jesus wants for us. Sometimes we, we don't follow in the ways of Jesus because we follow these other shepherds, right? We, Paul talked about that last week. We follow the ways of the world. We follow the desires of our flesh. And Jesus just said, yeah, all those are thieves. They came to steal your life, not give it to you. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. He says, if you're following anybody but me, you're following somebody who came to rob from you. Only I came to give you life. They came to take your life. But sometimes we miss the life Jesus has for us just because of what's going on in us. If you need a picture of what that looks like, I want to take you uh, to Numbers chapter 11. This is in the Old Testament. Uh, to understand the scene here, you got to know a little biblical history. Uh, God's people were in slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. Uh, through miracles, God has led them out of slavery. God has proved God's faithfulness. They've been rescued by God. They've been fed by God. They've been met by God. They've been led by God. They've just left Mount Sinai where they get the Ten Commandments and they worship God. Moses has been confirmed as their leader. They are headed for the promised land. They are almost there. Like the journey is almost over to the new life God had planned for them. They are through the wilderness. They are through the chaos, the disruption that got them out of the old normal and is going to take them to life is almost past. And then this happens. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. When he heard them, his anger was aroused. Fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. They start grumbling. God sort of gives a warning shot, fires out on the edges, not really affecting them, just saying, no, 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 this isn't going to work. They don't learn much from that lesson. Verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat. And then they say this crazy saying, do you remember how good it was in Egypt? Man, do you remember all the fish we ate in Egypt? It was free fish. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now I can barely eat anything. All we ever have is this manna. Manna was this miraculous food that God had provided to sustain the people as they traveled through the wilderness. They said, wouldn't it be great if we could go back to Egypt where we had all the free fish? So Moses goes to God in prayer. He's like, God, what am I going to do? The people are grumbling and they're complaining. I don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed. And so God has a plan. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I'll come down and speak with you there. I'll take some of the power of the spirit that's on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. And then tell the people this. 
Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat, we were better off in Egypt. So now the Lord will give you meat to eat, and you will eat it. You won't just eat it one day or two days or five or ten or twenty, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you've rejected the Lord who is among you. You've wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? The journey got long. The disruption lasted longer than they'd hoped. Sort of like this, right? None of us thought we'd still be worried about this COVID stuff a year later. I certainly didn't. The journey got long. And they're like, if only we could go back to normal. We'd rather go back to the bondage of Egypt than wade through the journey it's going to take to get where God wants to take us. And I just, I just want to be clear, some of you are in danger of doing this spiritually right now. I really believe God wants to use the disruption of this moment to move our church forward, to move your spiritual life forward, to move your family forward, to move your social, how you schedule your social calendar forward, to move your relationships with your neighbors from, from high and howdy to missionary relationships, uh, to move your, whatever it is, I believe God wants to move you to abundant, fuller life. And right now, some of you want to out of the wilderness so bad, you would go back to bondage because at least there was free fish and cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions. Now listen, I want to be clear. Sure, think back on your life. Think back on 2019. Every area of your life in, that was thriving in 2019 where God was being glorified, the kingdom was being advanced, you were living as a missionary on fire for Jesus. Everything in your life that was like that, you go right back to normal. That sounds awesome. And you get back to normal as fast as possible. Every area where you were loving and sacrificing and serving and trusting and hoping and believing and bringing peace where others brought anger and bringing healing where others brought cursing, everything that was like that in 2019, you go right back to normal. But if you weren't, if there was one little area of your life that wasn't like that, well, don't go back to bondage in Egypt just because you like the free fish. When God has orchestrated this disruption in your life to lead you to the promised land. And I want you to know, it's possible. I am seeing people use this disruption to lead them to life and away from death. I talked to somebody a few months ago who was they were saying, they said, COVID is the best thing that happened to my connection to the church. And I was like, okay, you got to tell me more about that. Because that has not been my experience. COVID's been a disaster for my connection to the church. And I know a lot of people who feel that way. What's your deal? And they said, well, you know, before COVID, all I did was just come on Sundays and sit there in the pews and say hi to a couple people and then I'd leave. I didn't really know anybody or meet anybody or get connected. Once COVID hit, it got bad. I had nothing and I was lonely and lost. And I figured out that if I didn't get strategic about getting connected, I was going to completely lose my connection to the church. So I joined two Zoom Bible studies. 
I did a love, uh, love month group or love does group when they came. I started going to the men's breakfast when that, when that kind of got re-going again. I've been inviting friends to watch with me online and we talk about your sermons while you preach them. That made me feel really good because I know this guy. He doesn't say nice things. But anyways, um, but he said, he said, I am more connected to the church than I ever have been before. And he's not going back to normal. He's going forward to something new. I'll just say, if normal for you was, you know, I tell you, it's a big church. I don't really know anybody. Then don't go back to normal. I know it got worse in COVID and you're in your brain. You're thinking, if only I could get back to normal or I at least got to wave at people and smile without a mask. No, don't go back to normal. Sitting in a church where you don't know anybody, that's normal, but it's not good. It's not life. Go back to life. We got this thing coming up called Dinner for Eight. Registration opens today. It's one of the easiest ways for you to take, to go from being a stranger in a big church to belonging to a big church. It's so easy. Uh, you can sign up in the connection kiosk if you're here on building, right out the back of the doors or downstairs. If you're online, there'll be a link in the chat or you can just go follow the link and get signed up. If you're, if you're concerned about COVID protocols, don't worry. We have strategies to make it super safe. We're going to take care of you. We've got a whole plan. We, but you'll meet some people, share some meals with them, and begin to get connected. If normal was I don't know anybody, don't go back to normal. If normal for you was that I'm caught up in the division and anger that is ripping my society to shreds, and that was normal for you, you were just part of that. And then it just got worse in COVID. And of course it got worse in COVID. It did. It was a disaster. Well, don't just look forward. It'll be a little bit better when COVID's over. Yeah, but don't go back to normal. If normal for you is laziness in your career or in your relationships or in your spiritual life, and then COVID hit and it just got worse. Like you just stayed at home all day and that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're like, okay, maybe I'll get back to normal. I'll do a little bit. No, don't go back to normal. Go back to life. Don't go back to bondage because the journey is taking longer than you thought and the wilderness is more wild than you'd hoped for. The other thing, though, that you got to know about you and me is that sometimes we miss the chance to go to the life God has for us, not just because the journey got long, but because we got scared. That's what happens next to God's people. They get past the whole meat thing, uh, you know, they're sorry, and God stops making them eat meat every single day, and they get a rhythm of manna and quail, and things are going well, and they get to the edge of the promised land. They can see the life that God had planned for them. God tells them to send 12 spies in to check it out, and they do, and they investigate. And then in Numbers 13, they bring back their report. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, and there they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land where you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. Their cities are fortified and large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb, he was one of the spies. He silences the people before Moses and he says, we should just go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. 
But the other spies said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. This is giants. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So 12 spies go check it out. They get a mixed report. Two of them believed God when God said, this is the life I want to give you. And so they're like, all right, I guess we go do it. And 10 of them were trying to figure out what they could accomplish on their own strength. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't got this. Interestingly, all the spies are right. The 10 who think we can't do it under our own strength, they're right. And the two who think God's going to give it to us, they're also right. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. The Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we could have died in Egypt. Now that would have been, you know, that would have been good times. Or in the wilderness, maybe. We could have died there. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, they said to each other. We should choose a new leader and go back. Egypt. Spoiler alert, they don't go back to Egypt. Uh, They end up wandering in the wilderness for another 40 years. They get to eat a lot more manna and eat a lot more quail. And after a whole generation is gone, they do get to enter the land. Uh, They don't go back to Egypt. But I want you to notice the choice they made. They knew what was waiting for them in Egypt. Bondage, persecution, slavery, abuse, forced labor. That was the normal they knew. And they were afraid of what it would look like to go after the life God had for them. And so there, in sight of the life God had prepared for them, they got scared. And they stepped back. They said, we'd rather go back to normal. They chose the certainty of bondage over the risk of trusting that God had a life for them. I want you to listen to that. They chose the certainty of bondage over the risk of trusting that God had a life for them. And I want to warn you that every person I know eventually fights that spiritual battle. And some of you are fighting that spiritual battle today. Like that is the battle in your life right now. Will you trust that the life Jesus would lead you to is the life that God made you for? Or will you go back to the certainty of the life you had? It's been many years ago now, 10 or 12, in a different state, different land, had a guy come into my office talking about a bunch of stuff. He did the thing where he starts by saying, if I tell you some stuff, will you promise not to tell anybody? That kind of thing, you know. He ends up telling me about some stuff in his life, some addiction patterns, some sin patterns that had just been with him for a long time. They were ruining his marriage. They were ruining his job. They were ruining his friendships. He talks about it for a long time. 
I, I said to him, I said, well, do you, what do, you, do you know what God wants for you? He says, oh, I know, yeah, yeah well, God wants me to be free of all this stuff. And I said, what do you want for you? He says, oh, I want to be free of it too. It'd be it's awesome. It'd be wonderful. I said, well, do you know what that would take? I mean, do you, know how, do you have a sense of what your next step would be, you know? He says, oh, I know exactly what I'd have to do. I said, well, great. Well, what, is, what is it God wants you to do? So, well, I'd have to, I'd have to tell the truth to my wife. And I'd have to tell the truth to my boss. And I'd have to tell the truth to my small group of guys that I meet with for Bible study so they could help me. I'd have to, I'd have to tell the truth. To, just that, that's what I'd have to do. And I said, what would happen if you did? He said, man, I don't know. It'd be bad. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, I mean, it's the only way, you know, but it'd be bad. I said, okay, what would happen if you didn't? He says, oh, well, I know what that would be. I would just keep lying to everybody. I mean, eventually, I'd get caught, and that'd be really bad. Okay. So we prayed some and thought about what we would do. We scheduled another meeting for a couple weeks out. We meet a couple weeks later. And he says, I say, or I say to him, I said, you know what you're going to do? He says, yeah. I said, okay, great. Uh, well, how can I help? What are you going to do? He says, I'm going to lie. I just was heartbroken. I mean, because he was right there, you know. He'd done, he'd done so much of the journey. He'd gotten right to the edge, and he'd sent spies into the promised land, and he had seen that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, and it was the land God had prepared for him. He just was afraid of the giants who lived there. And so he's like, I think I'm going to go back to bondage. And that's what he did. Uh, and he was right. Uh, you know, the, the lies did eventually catch up to him a couple years later, and then all the whole thing kind of blew up, you know. When a disruption comes into your life, it's, it's awful. I'm not sure printing it has been awful. It's been hard for me, you know. But it's also a gift. It's a gift. It's an opportunity for you to say to God, God, I don't want to go back to normal. I want to go forward to life. I want to warn you that the same battle that was being fought by the Israelites that's described in Numbers chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14, that same battle is going on in your soul right now. Don't settle for going back to normal. Some of you would rather choose going back to bondage than forward to the life God has for you. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to have to wander 40 more years in the wilderness because you won't just say, okay, God, if you've got life for me, I'm going for it. So here's your homework. Um, it's a prayer exercise. Uh, pencil and a piece of paper would help. You don't need it now. It's just later. Set aside some time. Find a quiet place. Uh, if you want to remember it for later, um, you're going you're to do four words. Maybe you type these into your phone or you could jot them down so you remember this from later. I really, I really hope you'll do this homework. I think God could use this homework in your life. Uh, the four words you've got to remember are this. Now, the word one is remember. And the word two is trust. 
Word three is normal. And the fourth word is life. And, and we're going to do a little version of it now, but I'll just tell you what, you're, what I want you to do later. My, my challenge for you is to first just remember everything you've lost over the last year. I'm not saying that's going to be a fun process, but just name it. Maybe it's something you've lost professionally or something you've lost relationally or it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity you lost. You had a big trip planned. You'll never get that trip back or whatever it is. Just, just, it's just make a list. You know what you've lost. Maybe you've gotten lonely or maybe your mental health has suffered or maybe a relationship you thought, COVID won't mess this relationship up. Well, sure enough, it did, you know, and you don't know how to get it back, you know. You had a, had a good friend, and you spent the last six months fighting about masks, and you don't know how you'll ever get that friendship back. Okay, what have you lost? Remember. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray a prayer of trust. Just, just pray, pray it till you believe it. You might, have to do, you might get stuck here for a while. Just pray. Just as you look at that list, say, God, I trust that in all these things you can bring me to life that you can redeem every one of these things, that you can restore all the damage that's been done. I believe you can do that, God. I just want you to pray your trust that God can restore what's been lost. And then the, the third is normal. And just go to God and ask the question. So is there anything on this list, God, where the thing you want me to do is just go back to normal? Because I would love that. That'd be awesome. Like normal, I'm good at. Like I know how to be normal or at least my version of normal. You know, I know it's not actually technically normal, but whatever, it's normal for me. Anything here, God, you want me to go back to normal? I, I, that'd be awesome. But don't spend too long there because that list is going to be real short. And then you just pray over the list. You say, God, for every one of these things, what would life look like? What are you asking of me? What, what, do, you, not, what, what do you want to give me? What's the blessing you want to hand me? What's the, what's the opportunity? We're just going to pray through this together right now, but I really do hope you'll do some homework with this. I really believe this spiritual exercise, God will direct your paths if you'll give God a chance to do it. Let's just pray through this together. God, right now, we just ask you to help us remember. We might not even need help, God. It might be the first thing we think of. Help us to remember what we've lost, everything that was disrupted or damaged, destroyed or weakened by COVID, help us right now, God, to remember. We grieve, God. We mourn and we thank you that you mourn with us. We probably need to spend some more time with you, God, just remembering with you what's been lost. But right now, God, we, we move quickly to declare our trust in you, God. We believe that your promises are true and that what the locusts have taken, you will restore. What the disruption of COVID has damaged, you will repair. What we have lost, what has been stolen from us, you will redeem. And that you, God, know how to give gifts, not just, not just to equal what was taken, but overflowing and abundantly and we just trust you to do that right now, God. We trust that Jesus meant what he said when he said, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And now, God, we do. We, we look at the disruption and we just say, if there are things that need to go back to normal, would you give us the, help us do that, God? 
Maybe it's an exercise routine or a relationship with a friend or a rhythm in our family or a commitment to the church. It's time to get back to normal. And that's, that's it. We just need to get back on the horse. What we were doing already was what we were blessing and enriching. It was the right direction, and we just need to get back to it. But what we know, God, is a lot of our normal didn't have much to do with you anyway. And what we need right now is not back to normal, but back to life. And so we just end our prayer there, God. Where is it, God, that you're calling us to life? Maybe it's a, a new commitment to connection in the church. Maybe it's as simple as dinner for eight, or maybe it's a commitment to prayer. Maybe it's a new career. Maybe it's a new way of relating to our neighbors. We got cut off from our neighbors, but we're not just going to go back to normal, back to waving. We're going to become missionaries and invite them into our home and hospitality, God. Would you just direct us, God? Hear our prayer. For much has been taken, but we trust you to restore. Where what was normal is what you had for us, take us back to normal. But where you have more for us, God, help us to see it. And bring us, as you promise, back to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.